Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. I'd like to mention, uh, first off, uh, concerning our new prayer list, I think most of you have got them. Um, the people on here are people that have called us and asked us for prayer or somebody we know. And um, if you look at the list, most of the folks are not here today, but uh, they're in other places. Um, the one that's not on here is we don't, we, uh, week to week we get an update on Gail's foot, and she's dealing with it, but she's got a broken situation and other things. So remember, if you see her out walking around, she's being careful. Trying. Trying. Right. <laughs> so if you don't have one there, the new ones are leftovers are on the table there. You take them and you can keep aware of people's needs here in this group and in other places, family members, extended families and such. We, um, <clears throat> we have, I believe it's lesson number 14. I wasn't keeping track, but Greg does. Um, on Galatians, pretty much the last one. But, um, and of course this is a a wonderful letter, epistle. It was sent out to the churches of Galatia, uh, the assemblies of that area, the people of that area, more than one, just one little location or one small group, but probably a number. <clears throat> And we've arrived at the concluding portion of the Apostle Paul's letter to them. Also, as we begin reading today in verse 11, we're going to go use uh, verse 11 through 18, which completes the, the letter. <clears throat> we're going to read of Paul's signature closing of some of his letters. He closed similar to this in about three other epistles by saying in like final words, and he writes with his own hand on the script, large letters um, to designate that he was writing this himself. He had others write for him. And of course, this leads to a lot of um, supposition. Well, was his eyesight bad, or was this the thorn in his flesh, or was he not able to write for himself, and all these things. We don't know any of those things. Uh, I think the authenticity of the message that came from the apostle was important. By the way, it's just as important today as it was then. And it's just as valid, it's just as true, and it's just as necessary today as it was then. Now, that's something that we we need to make sure that we don't relegate to rung three, four, five, or six on our ladder. Let's keep it up there where it belongs. Remember, the apostles were sent by the Lord himself as eyewitnesses speaking from the very mind of Christ. What they say is what we believe. In all of this, through the power of God and his inspiration and his ability 
Now, I believe, speaking of Paul, that he knew that his objection in this letter towards the Judaizers, the false teachers, and his clear defense of the gospel once delivered was on solid ground. There was no question in his mind. And as we go through this letter, I hope there's no question in our mind. He gives all the references that the Jewish people should have known and the Gentiles need to know and putting it all together the sufficiency of the gospel and the sufficiency of Christ Jesus is enough to go forward. We don't need to go backwards in the law to find some sort of authorized actions. The scriptures and the Lord's clear direction for the new covenant could not be ignored. And it was not ignored by the apostles And I would have to say a good number of folks in the early church, just as we have those with us today. Yet the brethren needed to make their own decision. According to Paul, things, decisions made out of spirit, out of a spiritual understanding, rather than just a a carnal or a fleshly concept or desire or other other idea that someone has passed along. The question was, could they do this? I think we need to always hope that they did, and we know that they could, but what did they do? The truth of the gospel in this message was settled in heaven. That should be enough. But even on top of that, it was settled amongst the apostles. And that is enough for us. Remember, our fellowship is with the apostles and with the the Son of God and his Father. That's our fellowship. But the free will of mankind is never abrogated, even by the powers of heaven. This is a gift God has given his creation, man. But we must use it wisely. I was reading from um, uh, C.S. Lewis, wrote a number of little things concerning free will. Interesting to see how different people consider free will. I didn't record anything to read to you today, but The idea was that free will is a wonderful gift from God, but we can misuse our free will by allowing carnal or fleshly or man-made things to overpower the very truth that we know from God. The passage Alex read today from Romans chapter 1 is a perfect illustration of that. <clears throat> so let's look on let's look on to the uh, text here, uh, verse 11 through 13 concerning the motives of the Judaizers, fleshly motives of the Judaizers. <coughs> you see, they weren't using ideas and things from 
out of the spirit. It wasn't spiritual thinking that was motivating the Judaizers to say and teach the things that they were teaching, sort such as, and mostly, they wanted Gentiles to be, become obedient to the law, and then they were worthy somehow for salvation. Now, this was all on them. The apostles did not preach this. The Lord certainly didn't authorize it. And if we want a perfect illustration of why it's not true, read Acts uh, chapters 10 and 11, you'll find Cornelius and the apostle Peter. Where was all of this in that account? Not there. But you see, that was earlier. Things have a way of disintegrating a little as time goes on. Verses 11 through 13. The apostle starts this new thought with, See how large letters I write unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Verse 13. For not even they who receive circumcision, do themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. Summarizing, of course, everything he's been teaching and and dealing with here in the first part of the letter. So, These Jews who had went out from Palestine, from Judea, Jerusalem even, and were mandating circumcision for the Gentile Christians, were doing so to find favor with other Jewish leaders, to keep themselves out of the fray of persecution and bad thoughts towards them as they were promoting this idea. Rather than being obedient to Christ and the apostles of Christ, this is what they were doing. They were afraid of being persecuted themselves. Their motivation was to fear instead of being out of faith. You see, friends, faith drives away fear. According to the apostles' teaching. So it seems to me that they were making a clear denial of Christ. You see, when you deny things of Christ, things of heaven, you deny everything there is concerning that. We can't go in and modify. We don't alter. We don't modernize or put it in better words. We try to put it in better words and we never really do accomplish it. We need to look at the original words and learn from those. And that's what we tried to do. So they were in a bad place, denying the apostolic teaching concerning the terms of pardon, 
the gospel of Christ and the things that that contained. So they really had no love for the gospel or for the Lord. They also really had no love of the law, the law of Moses or anything uh, that had come that way. You know, they were all sons of Abraham and so proud of it, but why didn't they listen to the patriarchs? Paul says they were lawbreakers. But they would bind the law on a Gentile for their own pleasure, for their own reasons, and yet they themselves will not be obedient even under the law. Well, that's the Judaizers. There's been a lot of false teaching under a lot of different false names. That's just one of them. And Paul says, as we move on to verses 14 through 16, that he glories only in the cross of Jesus. And of course, by that, he covers a a wide area here. In other words, all of the promise of the Messiah that builds up to the deliverance of the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah, the work of the Messiah, and the cross of the Messiah, because its purpose, the cross's purpose, is a sublime purpose. In other words, it's from heaven. Had other men ever died on a cross? Of course. But this was the Son of God. And not only that, the cross shows us and reminds us of what? The resurrection. It reminds us of the kingdom of Christ. It reminds us of the new covenant and all that has happened. And in verse 14 through 16, Paul continues on. He says, but far be it from me to glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world hath been crucified unto me and I unto the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but the new creation. And verse 16 says, And as many as shall walk in this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. All the blessings, promises, and understandings of the gospel come through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the word of God. And the efforts of the Lord's apostles unto the seekers of God, the seekers of salvation, those who are seeking to grow close to that one that they know is there. You know, Romans, though, the scripture we heard this morning in Father Romans 1 makes it clear that if you'd never seen the Word of God, the Bible, as we call it, you can open your eyes and look at what there is and come to a realization this came from somewhere. This order that we find 
because if we tried to, if in every other program there is to try to show this uh, becoming out of nothing or nowhere, would also have chaos along with it that we don't have. And I, years ago when I did a lot of apologetical work, I used to quote the, the uh, elderly philosophers and, and uh, astronomers and people that worked in this field of uh, the cosmos, as you will. And one thing that they all had in common is that there's an order in what they see that they cannot explain. Because on one side, they're telling us that disorder brought everything into existence, and all they see is order everywhere, order. The creation screams that there is a God. And so it shall ever be. The cross of Christ holds the true understanding of the plan of God to deal with the sin problem. Remember about sin? Starts all the way back in, almost on the first page of our Bible, doesn't it? The sin issue. How's God going to deal with sin? Genesis chapter 3, when he has to deal with it. And on it goes. The sin problem was solved on the cross. The dear cost. And I think the cross, we look at it from the surface and we see crucifixion, we see the, the dire consequences of it, the, the, the cruelness of it. If we get into scientific ideas about how, what it takes to die on the cross, all these things are horrible. But what God wants us to understand is that sin is so bad is so grave that this is what it takes for forgiveness. Remission, as the Bible calls it. The blood of his son, innocent of all sin, never sinned. His blood saves everyone of faith. Before the cross and after. So the physical pain and death of the Son of God is has a purpose in our thinking. Also, the world is a different place after the crucifixion of Christ. Things changed. They were, they were changing rapidly day to day for the next 40 years until the real end of the Jewish covenant uh, came to a conclusion completely. Uh, let's look at John chapter 12. I'm going to read something here. John 12, verse 28 through 33, I think. This is an account here that Jesus had with the, with the Jews during his ministry. Listen to what he says. Father, glorify thy name. And there came therefore a voice out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will continue glorify it again. The multitude, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. 
Jesus answered and said, This voice hath not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. And by this he said, signifying by what manner of death he should die. And on it goes to explain. The world is a different place after the cross. It's a different place after the preaching of the gospel. And day by day it rolled forward with the kingdom of Christ being uh, brought to the awareness of men. Verse 16 again, let's, let's hear it again in case you've forgotten it. And as many as shall walk in this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Paul simply saying you have to take the testimony of the apostles. The gospel message is once delivered, it's complete, it's without anything that could be added or subtracted from it. The works that were under the law pale in light of any actions out of faith. To be a Christian, a son of God, one must have become a new creation in Christ. You see, that's what's important. It's not circumcision. It's being a new creation. It's truly being a member of the family of God. This was the gift of sonship to those that believe in the Son of God and he who sent him. But Paul has been promoting these actions that were out of faith, the entire letter. That's what it's about. The things you do, do out of faith. Not out of teaching of men. I'll give you some examples here. Well, as a matter of fact, I want to go back in Galatians here to chapter 3. This is where he was talking about this. And hear what he says again. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6. <clears throat> Even as Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness, know therefore that they that are of faith, the same are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles out of faith, excuse me, preached the gospel beforehand unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then, they that are out of faith are blessed with the faithful Abraham. See, that's what being a Christian is, is being a Christian through faith. And your actions are out of faith. Your, your arguments and your, your, um, your life. But what do we have today in Christendom? 
Calvinism, which, which describes um, nearly every denominational teaching in nearly every place. I say nearly because I can't speak for everybody. But I will generalize just a little bit because of what I know and have read. Calvinism offers certainty. Certainty. You know what certainty is? Every now and then we kind of like a little certainty in our life, don't we? You know, if we buy a new wash machine, we want to have some certainty that's going to run at least a year. <laughs> well, it's a lot more serious than that. But I mean, that's the idea. When Calvinism offers you certainty, it's because you're accepting the words and the deeds. You're accepting the so-called five points of Calvinism or the, or the, the put-together, systematized religious doctrine of that whole thing. And that's mostly every, every group. But all of it really and truly is without faith. It doesn't take faith or out of faith or spiritual thinking to deal with Calvinism. It's certainty. Now, God offers nothing, nothing at all apart from faith. You have no faith, there's no promise to you. I won't even talk about what there is for you. But nothing is for you sounds, sounds pretty final. God offers nothing at all apart from faith, but in faith he offers the glories of heaven, the rewards of sonship and life without end in his presence. That's pretty good. And it's not blind faith, as we also had talked about today, but faith that comes upon the seeker of God, those that are opening their hearts and minds to the word of God. The very breath effect of God in their life is the spark and, the, and how faith grows in us day by day, if we're involving ourselves in the things of God day by day. Let me give you an example that I know is true. <laughs> Let's say a minister who preaches predestination. You know what predestination is? It's the concept. It's not spoken of too much from the pulpit and other places, but it's what they believe. That's what's in their pamphlets. It's the things that you get through the mail. It's all of this. It means that God has already selected who is saved and who is lost. Now, if you're a preacher and you're preaching that your entire career to the innocent victims that sit in your pews, what happens when that minister is laying on his deathbed? I think that he's hoping that Calvin got it all wrong that Calvin didn't get it right, that, that maybe some aren't lost regardless of how faithful and godly they have tried to live in their deeds and the things that they have done. 
I think that's what they're thinking. Now, does that nullify what they've been saying for 50 years? I think they need to give their money back to the church. (laughs) Why does this continue? This is a bigger problem than Judaizing, in my estimation. Sure covers a lot more time and a whole lot more people. It's false teaching. It's just one of the falsehoods of Calvinism. But it certainly is. One thing builds on another in those five points. It's called the domino theory. And I'm not talking about that. I'm just giving an an example, rather. But let's look at the, since I'm running out of time, let's look at the final words of the apostle here in chapter 6, 17, and 18. By the way, the uh, the idea of uh, uh, the Israel of God is the idea of being a son of a uh, son or daughter of Abraham through faith. Through faith, God credited uh, the faith of Abraham. Abraham's decision and faithfulness towards him as righteousness. Which brings us to a point, if you were listening to the Beatitudes that were taught here, uh, brings us to a a position of receiving um, the words of salvation. The final thing here, 17 and 18, to to the people of the Galatia area, Henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I brand, for I bear rather, branded on my body, the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. By the way, the word spirit there is singular, and neuter, and brethren is plural. But, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, can any marks of Jesus be found on us? You know, when I read something like that, I wonder. Uh, Well, and I was thinking this morning, uh, the idea of having psychological scars. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So... My feelings probably really aren't the kind of marks that we're talking about here. But we need to be close enough to Jesus that we can feel those marks. When you stand on the Word of God and reject the religion of men, you're going to pick up a few visible marks Uh, They might even be hurt feelings, but that's something to talk about at least. I'm not not talking about a a Christian uh, t-shirt, you know, Christian wear. That seems to be, you know, very sacrificial in our our day and time to put something on that somebody can argue about. Nonetheless, and I think Christian wear is probably okay as long as it's doctrinally sound. 
Uh, it's a little better than the T-shirt I saw one time that had a picture of a whale and a shark and a few things on the front. At the bottom it said, respect your elders. <laughs> I, so, you know, I guess we can all wear T-shirts, right? <laughs> In verse 18, may the breath effect of God be upon the spirit of the whole assembly. This, of course, is the Lord's will for the church. You see, the spirit of the assembly uh, needs to reflect uh, the will and the grace of God. See, our assembly has a spirit. You see, when, when most people read the word spirit in their Bibles, anywhere they might find it, they immediately attach a, uh, the word holy to it and, um, and, a, and a, some sort of a personalized entity rather than looking at the passage. Um, I mean, you can find that in certain places, but not every place. But that's the problem with our English language that, that we have to overcome but we can do so by study. But here we find the spirit is of the whole assembly. It's not personal here. It's, it's corporate. Let me close with the idea that Christians need to know all of God's word and what it teaches about the faith. You see, if the Gentile Christians would have been a little closer to the teaching they'd received and a little stronger in their faith, they wouldn't have been listening to the Judaizers or drawn away. Now, today, can, be we, can we be so weak in God's word that we can be drawn away? I don't even have to answer that, do I? It's happening right now in many, many places. Drawn away from the truth, through some charismatic voice of some kind. And I'm not saying charismatic to be pointing out anyone in particular. You know, the greatest following is voices that are, that are well-spoken that mean nothing. Those are the biggest draw there is. So, think about that. When you do... When you are aware of God's word, when you are there, when you really can be and should be speaking God's word, then you can help others that are learning. And in, in doing so, you will complete, I think, it partially, the commandment of Christ. He said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. You love one another. Telling somebody the truth is loving them. Telling somebody the truth of God is loving them as Christ loved the men and women of the world. Who before they loved him. He died for them. And on and on it goes. So we speak well of Christ. We speak well of God's
terms of pardon of the gospel of all that is of God. Not taking anything away from it and not adding anything to it. If we do, then we should apologize for doing that and change our ways. Those would be my words today. And uh, I could go through Galatians again now another 14 lessons and be, uh, there's so much, it's so rich, it's so meaningful. Um, and sermons could be two hours long instead of whatever. But that doesn't matter. The matter is we, have to, we go one day to the next. And that would be my word today. We'll have our closing. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.